Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. The rosters are set, and baseball's brightest stars are descending on Los Angeles for the 2022 All-Star Game. You can bet on baseball all summer long with betonline.ag, and you can get a 50% welcome bonus when you sign up with our promo code BLEAV. B-L-E-A-V. Bet online, where the game starts. Following Kawhi Leonard's ankle injury in the 2017 Western Conference Finals, the Golden State Warriors went on to sweep the San Antonio Spurs in four games. The Warriors advanced to the NBA Finals with a perfect postseason record. 12 wins, 0 losses. They would win games 1, 2, and 3 against an outmatched Cleveland Cavaliers team led by LeBron James and Kyrie Irving. Back in Cleveland, LeBron carried the Cavaliers to a victory in Game 4 over the Warriors denying the Warriors the first perfect postseason in NBA history. The Warriors would go on to win Game 5 and secure the franchise's second NBA title in three seasons. It was also the first championship of Kevin Durant's career, and he would be named NBA Finals MVP. That following summer, the Golden State Warriors would also become the namesake for the NBA's newest rule. The NBA's reckless defensive closeout rule determined that referees had the ability to upgrade a foul call to either a flagrant foul or a technical foul if they determined that a defender's closeout intentionally or recklessly disrupted the landing zone of a shooter while they were in the air. Today, this rule is known more commonly as the Zaza Pachulia rule. And the rule was made entirely with the intent to prevent a star player like Kawhi Leonard from suffering an injury that changes the entire outcome of an NBA postseason series and an NBA champion. After Zaza Pachulia ended Kawhi Leonard's 2017 season, Kawhi was diagnosed with a left ankle sprain along with left quadricep tendinopathy. Quadricep tendinopathy is a term broadly used to describe an injury related to inflammation around the quadricep tendon and the patellar tendon, both of which are located in your knee and into your lower leg. While the injury to Kawhi from Zaza Pachulia didn't directly cause this injury, it is important to know that one of the most common causes of quadricep and patellar tendinopathy is repeated ankle injuries as a result of running and jumping. 
Just five days prior to that game one against the Warriors, Kawhi suffered a separate ankle injury in their series against the Houston Rockets. These injuries also occurred after Kawhi Leonard had already played in 84 basketball games in the last 12 months. In a sport that is really intensive on running and jumping, sprained ankles and turned ankles are some of the most common injuries that exist in basketball. All of the running and jumping had caught up to Kawhi Leonard, causing inflammation and wear and tear on the tendons in his lower leg. Over the course of the next three months, Kawhi Leonard would rehab in order to lower the pain and the swelling in his left leg. In July 2017, two months after Kawhi's injury against the Warriors, the Spurs granted Kawhi Leonard's camp permission to take over Kawhi's rehab. Kawhi had reached a place in his recovery that the Spurs felt he was ready to work on his own. The Spurs set up Kawhi with a physical therapist, and Kawhi returned to San Diego to begin training for 2018 Spurs training camp, which was now just two months away. The 2018 San Antonio Spurs season will go down as one of the most confusing, chaotic, and crazy seasons any franchise has ever experienced. This is the final season of the Spurs dynasty, where 28 years of success and stability all comes to a screeching halt. On episode four, we're putting together a timeline of events to take us through the 2018 season. We're going to understand what was happening with Kawhi Leonard, the Spurs organization, the Spurs players, Popovich, and Kawhi's camp in a way that hasn't been detailed before. We're going to do our very best to figure out how Kawhi Leonard and the San Antonio Spurs relationship fell apart so fast. This is the fall of the Spurs dynasty. Episode 4. What happened in 2018? Kawhi Leonard has returned to San Diego to continue rehabbing his left quadricep injury. Kawhi Leonard is officially two years away from free agency, and beginning on July 1st, the San Antonio Spurs can sign him to a four-year Supermax contract extension. If Kawhi Leonard waits one season, which he will, he becomes eligible for a five-year, $209 million Supermax extension. The Supermax extension was built into the NBA's collective bargaining agreement as a way for small market teams to pay star players more money than other teams. When LeBron James left the Cavaliers in 2010, or when Kevin Durant left the Oklahoma City Thunder in 2016, they both had to leave money on the table in order to go sign with other basketball teams. Because the Spurs drafted Kawhi Leonard, they possessed Kawhi Leonard's bird rights, and therefore they could pay roughly about 7.5% more money than any other team on Kawhi's new contract. 
In addition to his Spurs contract being up in two seasons, Kawhi was one year away from his apparel contract with Jordan Brand coming to an end. Sometime during the summer of 2017, Kawhi's agent went to Jordan Brand to begin talks on a new contract. Jordan Brand reportedly offered them $5 million per year over the next four years, which was reportedly about half of what players such as Kyrie Irving, James Harden, and Paul George were making on their apparel contracts from Nike and Adidas. There were additional problems with Kawhi Leonard's logo. The logo used for all Kawhi Leonard Jordan brand merchandise was a giant hand with the letters K and L mixed between them, a reference to Kawhi's larger-than-normal hands and the letters of his initials. Kawhi's nickname was The Claw, with a K instead of a C, as, again, a reference to Kawhi's hands that looked like the size of bear claws. Both Kawhi's claw logo and the name The Claw were trademarked by Jordan Brand, not Kawhi Leonard. This meant that Kawhi could only profit off of his own logo based on a percentage that he and Jordan Brand agreed to. In the 2010s, most NBA stars with logos own the trademarks to their own logo and then license it out to apparel companies. This time it was working the other way around. In negotiating a new Jordan deal, Kawhi's agent demanded that Jordan Brand give Kawhi the trademarks to own his logo as part of the new deal. Jordan Brand refused, saying Kawhi would have to purchase the trademarks from Jordan Brand himself. Kawhi's agent paused negotiations, saying they would resume closer to when Kawhi's contract was set to expire. There are conflicting reports as to whether or not Kawhi Leonard was even aware that Jordan Brand owned the trademarks to his logo prior to 2017. With the negotiations stalling with Jordan Brand, Kawhi decided for the first time to hire a business strategist. Up to this point in his career, Kawhi hadn't needed any kind of business advice. His Spurs contract and his Jordan contract were negotiated with his agent. The only commercials Kawhi ever did were negotiated with the Spurs, with him and his teammates making origami snowballs as a way to sell stir-fry. Uh, when did you guys make all of this? Well, we picked up H-E-B's Asian stir-fry kits. They come with the sauce and pre-cut veggies. No chopping. So we used the extra time to master the ancient art of origami. My frog got serious hops, man. And Patty made an alligator. Crocodile. Kawhi, what is that? It's a snowball. That's a pretty good snowball, Kawhi. Yeah, I know. It's not crocodile. H-E-B Asian stir-fry kits in a variety of unique flavors. Side note, the video to that commercial is even funnier than the audio. So if you want to Google H-E-B commercial Kawhi, you'll get a laugh out of it. Back to the show. According to Lee Jenkins in 2016, Kawhi's only national endorsement was with Wingstop, and he only signed the deal so he could get free coupons for Mango Habanero Wings. Kawhi Leonard was the kid who grew up idolizing Michael Jordan. He signed with the brand regardless of asking price when he first got in the league. Now that Kawhi was finally grown up and an NBA star himself, he started to think for himself and become his own person. 
And so, as his business advisor and business strategist, Kawhi Leonard turned to the best business person that he knew, which was Dennis Robertson, a.k.a. Uncle Dennis. Over the 2018 season, Uncle Dennis would become a pariah within the Spurs organization and the Spurs fan base. We'll never know for sure exactly what role Uncle Dennis played in the fall of the Spurs dynasty, but for now, let's take a minute to understand who Uncle Dennis is and the role he's going to play in this story. Dennis Robertson was a standout high school basketball player in the late 1970s. In 1984, Robertson attended the University of Idaho on a partial basketball scholarship. During his time in college, Robertson also played in pro-am leagues in nearby Seattle as a way to increase his basketball profile. Robertson would be two-time defensive player of the year during his time at Idaho and graduated in 1987 with a degree in business administration. After graduating college, Uncle Dennis was offered a contract to play basketball in the Brazilian Professional League. He turned it down and moved back to Los Angeles to begin working at Chase Bank after college. Robertson would work at Chase Bank in some capacity for the next 22 years. Robertson would also spend time working for American Express and a private reserve banking fund. In 2014, Robertson became the president of Elite Athlete Division, which is a company that focuses on professional development, according to Robertson's LinkedIn page. As we already know, Robertson lived nearby Kauai in Moreno Valley, and after Kauai's parents separated, he was there as a support system for his sister and for his nephew. After Kauai's father was murdered in 2008, that support system meant something different and now, in 2017, Uncle Dennis would become Kawhi Leonard's chief business strategist, hired by Kawhi to help manage his growing business opportunities while Kawhi was playing basketball. August 2017. Kawhi Leonard goes on a trip to China with the NBA's youth program. He has no contact with the San Antonio Spurs for approximately two weeks. September 2017. Spurs training camp begins, and Kawhi Leonard returns to San Antonio with the team. September 30th, 2017. The Spurs hold their first Silver and Black Inter-Squad, which is open and available to the public, and to media personnel. At that inner squad, Kawhi Leonard is not present, and for the first time, the San Antonio Spurs formally announce that Kawhi Leonard will be out for the preseason while recovering from a left quad injury. The Spurs also mention to the media that there is no exact timetable for Kawhi Leonard's return. Two weeks later, on October 13, 2017, the Spurs announce that Kawhi Leonard will be out for the season opener, scheduled to take place in five days in San Antonio. Greg Popovich gave a vague statement on when Kawhi would return. Quote, He's still rehabbing, and when he's ready, he'll be ready. I try not to qualify it. One week later, on October 20th, the Spurs played their first road game against the Chicago Bulls. 
After the game, the team was flying back to San Antonio. While they were boarding the plane, video emerged of Kawhi Leonard visibly limping as he tried to walk up the stairs to board the San Antonio Spurs chartered flight. The video didn't exactly sit well with Spurs fans and NBA media, and there was concern that Leonard was still months away from a possible return. On October 27th, one week after the video of Leonard limping on a team plane, Spurs doctors and Kawhi reportedly had a meeting with tendon experts to figure out the state of Kawhi Leonard's injured quad. After the meeting, the Spurs end up finishing a four-game road trip before returning to San Antonio for a six-game homestand that would last approximately two weeks. On November 7th, during a weekly press conference, Greg Popovich stated confusion with the Leonard injury. Quote, He's just coming along more slowly for whatever reason. It's just been more difficult for him to get through the rehab routine. His body just hasn't reacted the same way, end quote. Sometime between November 7th and November 15th, the San Antonio Spurs doctors and Kawhi met for a second time with tendon experts. The Spurs doctors were confused by the situation as well. In July, they had reached a point where they could clear Kawhi to return home and continue his rehab. Now, four months later, the injury seemed to either be getting worse or not really getting better. Following the meeting with tendon experts, the Spurs announced on November 15, 2017, that Kawhi would be close to a return. At a press conference, Greg Popovich again expressed optimism about Kawhi's soon-to-be availability, but again offered very vague statements, which we now know is because Greg Popovich didn't really have information to provide to people. The media only had direct access to players and coaches, and so Popovich was there to speak on behalf of medical experts and the front office. While Popovich is himself the president of the Spurs, he didn't exactly have information regarding medicals, in part because Kawhi Leonard's camp was the one handling most of his rehab. On November 21st, 2017, six days after the Spurs expressed optimism for Leonard's return, Popovich made headlines at a press conference for expressing his confusion about the whole Leonard situation. Popovich talked about how Tony Parker just a year earlier had torn his quad and his rehab only took seven months. However, Kawhi's injury was more chronic and they didn't really know how long it would take for him to get back. Coach Pop finished with a vague statement about how each injury is different and they would take Kawhi's injury one step at a time. Kawhi Leonard still felt pain in his left knee and the Spurs doctors had been working for months to try and figure out a solution. As time wore on, and Kawhi went to more experts, the Spurs medical staff became a little more exasperated with the whole process. Based on the timeline of Kawhi's injury, they probably felt like it was a mistake to allow Kawhi to go and rehab on his own back in July, and now they were trying to take control of the rehab process once again. On December 1st, Kawhi Leonard was cleared for 5-on-5 contact practice. On December 4th, three days later, Kawhi held a press conference in which he answered reporters' questions for roughly two and a half minutes. Despite growing fallout with the company, Kawhi could still be seen wearing the Jordan brand Jumpman logo on his jacket. When reporters asked Kawhi about the pain he was in, he responded, It's hard to say. I really wasn't doing anything to push the pain to that level. 
Whatever the doctors recommended is what we began to do. Then the following question was asked. Did you ever seek a second opinion from someone outside the organization? To which Kawhi replied, I don't really want to get into details on that. Just focus on something else. Between September and November of 2017, the Spurs and Kawhi Leonard had been working together to try and resolve his quad injury. By the time we get to December 2017, the situation becomes a weird game of he said versus he said. Kawhi Leonard felt he was still in pain. The Spurs doctors felt like Kawhi Leonard was ready to return. Kawhi Leonard began distrusting Spurs doctors, and Spurs doctors questioned whether or not Kawhi's camp was withholding information about his rehab. Again, he said versus he said. The history of medical staff and professional sports is a complicated relationship. Because doctors are hired by the teams, and the team has a financial interest in having players available, there are legal and ethical concerns that pop up in some places. If not addressed properly, these ethical and legal concerns can lead to a conflict of interest between the team and the player. This is especially a concern in high-contact sports like football, where injuries are more likely to occur. The NFL even has an old saying among former players, quote, Team doctors aren't there to make you well. They're there to make you well enough to play. In a medical journal published in 2016, Glenn Cohen, Holly Fernandez-Lynch, and Christopher Dubay wrote about this concept of conflict of interest as it relates to the NFL. Quote, NFL players typically receive care from the club's own medical staff. Club doctors are clearly important stakeholders in players' health. At the same time, club doctors have obligations to the club, namely to inform and advise clubs about the health status of the players. While players and clubs share an interest in player health, both of them want players to be healthy, there are several areas where their interests can diverge, and that divergence presents legal and ethical challenges. The current structure forces club doctors to have obligations to two parties, the club and the player, and to make difficult judgments about when one party's interest must yield to another. None of the three parties involved should prefer this conflicted approach. We propose to resolve the solution of dual loyalty by largely severing the club's doctor's ties with the club and refashioning that role into one of singular loyalty to the player-patient. The main idea is to separate the roles of serving the player and serving the club and replace them with two distinct sets of medical professionals, the player's medical staff and the club evaluation doctor." End quote. What their research is suggesting is that there's a doctor beholden to the team and a separate doctor beholden to the player. In the case of nearly every sports team, the team doctors are beholden to both the player and to the club. End quote. In the late 20th century and early 2000s, medical treatment by team doctors was centered around pain reduction more than injury management. Access to painkillers, cortisone shots, anabolic steroids, and more were commonplace during this era of sports. Especially in sports like baseball, basketball, hockey, and soccer, 
in which seasons consisted of anywhere from 50 to 170 games per season. In the past, there wasn't significant evidence that the San Antonio Spurs were willfully ignorant to the conflicts of interests in regards to medical staff. At the time, San Antonio doctors had been regarded as the best in the NBA for many years, and the Spurs organization was run in such a way that doctors remained more independent than their league counterparts. Additionally, the Spurs were one of the first organizations to recognize the importance of protecting players during the regular season in order to have them healthy for the playoffs. In 2012, the San Antonio Spurs were scheduled to play a primetime game versus the Miami Heat, the team they'd play later that year in the finals. Greg Popovich took advantage of strategic resting following a long road trip, and he sent Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, Manu Ginobili, and Danny Green back to San Antonio prior to the game against Miami. This was the first high-profile case of teams strategically resting all of their players at the same time to preserve their physical health over a long season. NBA Commissioner David Stern fined San Antonio $250,000 for resting their players, calling it a compromise to the integrity of the basketball results. In the modern NBA, strategically resting basketball players during a season is a common strategy. I'm sure NBA fans know of the phrase load management, which was a phrase that was actually first coined in reference to Kawhi Leonard. The Spurs were ahead of the curve on resting players during the regular season. They had a prerogative to protect their players so that they could play their best basketball when the postseason came around. The Spurs medical staff and organization had shown patience in the past and had accounted for possible conflicts of interest between the team and its doctors. Question is, did the San Antonio Spurs act with the same level of care and consideration with Kawhi Leonard's injury? And was Kawhi Leonard right to seek a second opinion from a doctor not being paid by the San Antonio Spurs? Before we continue with episode 4 of the fall of the Spurs dynasty, I need to give a few shout-outs here on the show. First and foremost, shout-out to Pounding the Rock. It is the San Antonio Spurs SB Nation site, and I've said it on every single podcast episode so far. They have made this entire podcast possible. All of the staff and the editors over at that page have made this podcast series exist. Their support over the last two months has made this has given us a home for this series that's not just our, our main podcast feed and have given me the distinct privilege of being able to interact with that great community. So thank you, thank you again. It's been a dream come true for me. I've spent dozens and dozens more hours than I thought I would making every detail perfect about this podcast series and Pounding the Rock has helped make this dream come true. So thank you, thank you so much to all of the staff and editors and the community over there. I also need to give a shout out to Bet Online Sportsbook and to the Believe Podcast Network. They have been sponsoring our main podcast, the Take It Easy Podcast, for 11 months now. Uh, 
For those who don't know, the Take It Easy podcast is a daily sports radio type of show that I've been doing for three years. It's how I've gotten to be so good at this whole podcast thing, and they have been supporting us for the last year. If you're listening to this show on the Take It Easy podcast feed, you've probably heard the Believe and Bet Online advertisements so far in the show. We're super, super appreciative to them. They have made all of these dreams possible and allowed me to continue uh, pursuing my dreams of being a sports podcaster and a documentarian, making incredibly fun projects like this and continuing to tell stories. So with that being said, let us continue with episode four of the fall of the Spurs dynasty. On December 12th, 2017, Kawhi Leonard made his return to the San Antonio Spurs lineup. It had been seven months since Kawhi Leonard turned his ankle in Game 1 of the Conference Finals, and nearly five months since Kawhi had first been diagnosed with right quadricep tendinopathy. In a game against the Dallas Mavericks, Kawhi scored 13 points in 16 minutes of play. The Spurs won the game by six points. Three days later, on December 15th, the Spurs would play a game against the Houston Rockets in which Kawhi Leonard scored 12 points in 16 minutes. For the next two weeks, the Spurs and Kawhi came to a plan in which Kawhi would play one game, then sit the next, play a game, and sit the next. Kawhi's minutes strategically increased as well as the games went along. December 18th against the Clippers, he played 16 minutes. December 21st against the Jazz, he played 20 minutes. December 26th against the Brooklyn Nets, he played 26. December 30th against the Detroit Pistons, 27 and a half. And then January 2nd against the New York Knicks, 30 minutes. The idea of the staggered games and the staggered minutes was meant to help Kawhi improve his conditioning after not playing basketball for seven months. Behind the scenes, Kawhi Leonard still felt a bit disillusioned with the whole situation. He'd been cleared to play by team doctors, yet Kawhi still felt pain when he was playing. Based on reports that would come out later, Kawhi Leonard felt distant and disconnected from the Spurs organization and Spurs doctors as a result of the entire process. Kawhi was feeling like he didn't have enough autonomy over his own medical decisions. On January 6th, 2018, the San Antonio Spurs were set to play against the Phoenix Suns. This would be Kawhi Leonard's eighth game since his return from injury, and fourth game of playing more than 25 minutes. Kawhi finished with 21 points and played 29 minutes. He checked out of the game with 2 minutes and 39 seconds to play, with San Antonio comfortably in the lead against the Suns. After the game, Kawhi Leonard was diagnosed with a partial tear in his left shoulder. It was an injury that reportedly had been suffered during the game against Phoenix. The Spurs doctors said that Kawhi would only miss a little bit of time with the injury, and it was possible that he would be able to play by next Thursday's game against the Los Angeles Lakers. 
throwing another injury into the mix, given the state of the relationship between Spurs doctors and Kawhi, felt like a bridge too far. Kawhi would end up missing the basketball game against the Lakers on Thursday, January 11th. He was scheduled to return when San Antonio played one home game on Saturday, January 13th against the Denver Nuggets. The San Antonio Spurs dominated the Denver Nuggets. They were up 20 points at halftime and 30 points in the third quarter. Kawhi Leonard finished with 19 points on 5 of 8 shooting and 9 of 11 from the free throw line. Kawhi played 28 minutes and 27 seconds before checking out of the game with 6 minutes left to play when the San Antonio Spurs, up 30 points, put in all of their backup players. After the game, Kawhi Leonard shut himself down indefinitely. Kawhi decided that he and he alone would make the decision about when he was ready to play basketball again. When Kawhi made the decision, something strange happened around the Spurs and Kawhi Leonard. Perhaps the relationship was already in a rough place, but this appeared to be a turning point. When Kawhi Leonard decided he was going to shut down his return until he felt physically right, something strange happened between Kawhi and the Spurs organization. Kawhi shut himself down on January 13th after the Denver Nuggets game. Perhaps he waited until the next day to tell the Spurs so we could mark that as January 14th. The next day, January 15th, the Spurs were scheduled to play in Atlanta. Kawhi Leonard was not ruled out for that game. Even though Kawhi Leonard had no intention to play in that game for the San Antonio Spurs, his official designation on the injury report was did not dress. It was the only time during the entire season that Kawhi Leonard was listed as did not dress instead of inactive. Two days later, before San Antonio's game against the Brooklyn Nets, the Spurs released a statement saying that Kawhi Leonard had been shut down indefinitely as he dealt with an injury to his right quad. What happened during those four days between when Kawhi Leonard decided he was shut down and when the San Antonio Spurs decided he was shut down. He received an official active designation for the January 15th game, although Kawhi Leonard did not dress for the game. Perhaps this is more procedural than nefarious? We just don't have information that points to why it took so long for the San Antonio Spurs to officially decide that Kawhi Leonard was going to be shut down. If Kawhi Leonard wasn't going to play, what power did the Spurs have to prevent Kawhi Leonard from playing? We may never know what details went into those four days and the official shutdown of Kawhi Leonard, or find out if those events over those four days had any impact on Kawhi Leonard's strained relationship with the team. All we do know is that there's distrust between Kawhi Leonard, Spurs doctors, and the Spurs organization as it relates to handling his injury. Pretty soon, the entire world 
would find out about this distrust. On January 22nd, 2018, five days after the San Antonio Spurs declared Kawhi Leonard would be out indefinitely, ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski, ESPN's Zach Lowe, and ESPN Spurs reporter Michael C. Wright released a report titled, Sources, Kawhi Leonard's Rehab Creating Chilling Effect with the Team. In the report, Woj, Zach Lowe, and Wright detail how, quote, months of discord centering on elements of treatment, rehabilitation, and timetables for return have had a chilling impact on San Antonio Spurs star Kawhi Leonard's relationship with the franchise and with the coaching staff. Under president and coach Greg Popovich, the Spurs have had a two-decade-long history of strong relationships, but multiple sources describe Leonard and his camp as distant and disconnected from the organization. Beyond the current rehab for the injury that has caused Leonard to miss most of the season, there is work to be done to repair what has been until now a successful partnership. End quote. This story was such a big deal that Spurs general manager R.C. Buford commented on the story to Adrian Wojnarowski, denying the fact and describing how it's been difficult for everyone involved, especially Kawhi. Uncle Dennis Robertson, who again is Kawhi Leonard's main business strategist, also came forward and denied the report, saying that there was no friction between Kawhi and the San Antonio Spurs. The next day, on January 23rd, 2018, Jalen Rose, an ESPN basketball insider and 15-year NBA player, went on ESPN's first take and raised eyebrows by stating that Kawhi Leonard wanted out of San Antonio. Here's what Rose had to say, quote, the reason Kawhi Leonard wants out of San Antonio is tenfold. One is they've been unable to attract elite level all NBA caliber free agents to come play with him. And also, the way his injury situation was handled. You see him in the lineup, you see him out of the lineup, is it his quad, what's going on with his history, was he misdiagnosed? Will we look back on this situation with his injury, kind of like we're doing with the Boston Celtics? Remember, the Boston Celtics fired their entire medical staff as it related to how Isaiah Thomas's injury was being handled, because his hip was misdiagnosed. End quote. The Isaiah Thomas situation, which had occurred back in 2017, was a situation of caution for NBA players. Thomas had made an all-NBA team with the Celtics, and carried Boston to the Eastern Conference Finals in 2017. Thomas injured his hip, during the 2017 postseason run, and he re-injured it during the conference finals against the Cavaliers. Thomas would be traded two months later to the Cleveland Cavaliers, and when he got to Cleveland, it was revealed that his hip injury was much worse than Celtics doctors were leading on. Thomas missed nearly all of the 2017 and 2018 season before the Cavaliers traded him for Larry Nance and Jordan Clarkson to the Los Angeles Lakers. Isaiah Thomas was one year away from free agency, and his misdiagnosed injury cost him nearly $100 million on his next contract. According to Jalen Rose, 
it was possible that the Celtics situation, also a very well-run organization, was playing a factor into Kawhi Leonard's thinking and Kawhi Leonard's decision-making around how Kawhi handled his quad injury. In the aftermath of the Woj, Zach Lowe, and Wright story, along with the Jalen Rose trade reports, about a dozen NBA teams called the San Antonio Spurs with trade inquiries for Kawhi Leonard. The San Antonio Spurs told them that Kawhi Leonard was not available, and they turned away anyone and everyone's trade offers. After the reports from ESPN came out, Kawhi attended the Spurs' next five games, all played in San Antonio. He watched from his second-from-the-end seat of the bench, wearing a suit jacket and a shirt. After those five games, the Spurs then began a six-game road trip, beginning on February 7th in Phoenix, Oakland, Utah, Denver, and Cleveland. The stretch would take the Spurs through the All-Star break, meaning that the six-game road trip would last approximately three weeks. Kawhi was permitted to not travel with the Spurs during this three-week stretch. So, Kawhi left San Antonio, flew to New York, and began doing his rehab at the NBA Players Association gym. Kawhi Leonard and the San Antonio Spurs were not communicating during this three-week stretch. Sometime between February 7th and February 18th, members of the Spurs organization went to check on Kawhi's rehab by flying to New York. When Kawhi's camp, as they were referred to, heard about the San Antonio Spurs' arrival, they and Kawhi left the hotel they were staying at and moved to a different floor of the building. In a weird game of chicken, Kawhi and his camp were hiding from the Spurs organization until the Spurs just gave up and went home. ESPN Spurs reporter Michael C. Wright, who was originally part of the Woj and Zach Lowe ESPN story, detailed how this interaction went down, as well as the state of the Spurs' relationship with Kawhi on Tom Haberstroh's podcast in 2018. Take a listen. Dude, like some of the things that were happening was crazy. Like, and I probably shouldn't say this right now, but I'm going to say it because Kawhi is about to be out of there, I think. But, I mean, there was a point during his rehab process in New York that some of the Spurs brass went out to see him in New York. As soon as those guys arrived to the building, Kawhi's people grabbed him and sequestered him to another part of the building. So the Spurs people couldn't even see him. Oh, man. Now, now, come on. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, these are the types of things that are going on that people don't necessarily know about. You go through the entire season, and Pop was asked these questions over and over and over again. And the thing was, and I don't think people realize this, Pop didn't have the answers because the whole rehab process was out of his hand. He, he didn't know anything. He didn't know anything. So when he's saying, you'll have to ask his group, it's not like you're trying to take a shot at Kawhi and his people. It's that he doesn't know. And that's what happened. I mean, the, the, the Spurs were in the dark most of the season. Okay, so at this point, we know that Kawhi Leonard is in New York for the next two weeks, and there's effectively no working relationship between Kawhi and the Spurs in regards to his injury rehab. In the aftermath of Woj's story in January, 
similar stories about Kawhi Leonard's camp began to circulate through league circles. Reporters started to ask questions about who exactly was this camp of Kawhi Leonard's? Why were they withholding information and access from the Spurs? And what was the purpose of all of this? In July 2018, the San Antonio Express News published a story detailing Kawhi Leonard's business partnerships. According to the report, Kawhi's team consisted mostly of two people, his agent, Mitch Frankel, and his chief business partner, Uncle Dennis. We'll discuss Uncle Dennis in a second. First, let's talk about the unique agency-to-player relationship that Kawhi Leonard has with Impact Sports Management. When Kawhi Leonard first entered the NBA, he hired agent Brian Elphis of Impact Sports Management to represent him. Elphis is from San Diego, California, and he connected with Kawhi at some point during his time at San Diego State. When Kawhi first joined Impact Sports Management, the agency was in its very, very infancy. They had just gotten their license from the NBA Players Association in 2008, and in 2010, they negotiated a $40 million contract for Charlotte Bobcats backup forward Tyrus Thomas. Much of the agency's funding was based on negotiating that contract, and the agency was surviving off of small-term deals. The only other NBA client for Elphis was then-Portland Trailblazers guard Will Barton, a D-League journeyman who had finally caught on with an NBA roster in 2012. Kawhi Leonard's breakout as an NBA Finals MVP was Brian Elphis's golden ticket into the sports agency business. In 2014, Kawhi Leonard became eligible for his first extension with the Spurs. Elphis and the agency were on the verge of a massive payday, one that would financially support them for years to come. Here's how Buck Harvey of the San Antonio Express News detailed Elphis's situation in 2014 to Adrian Wojnarowski. Quote, Elphis is an agent by trade and by personality, and he's been on the cusp of a payday and a breakthrough moment. Kawhi is his only big-name client, and this is part of the tension. Given the dollars being thrown around on lesser players in Leonard's rookie class, Elphis has been put on the spot. If he can't get the finals MVP a max contract, does his career take a hit? According to an official with an NBA team, several high-profile agents have sensed the same. They reached out to Leonard before last week, and they'll have more reason to now. End quote. Ultimately, Elphis got Kawhi Leonard a five-year, $94 million max extension in 2014. Two years later, Will Barton got his first big contract from the Denver Nuggets. After signing Barton's contract in 2016, Elphis left Impact Sports Agency to form his own sports agency, using the commission from those sales as capital to start his firm. Today, Brian Elphis represents a number of coaches and front office people in basketball, including San Diego State head coach Brian Dutcher, Milwaukee Bucks general manager John Horst, Wizards head coach Wes Unseld, and TNT lead basketball broadcaster Stan Van Gundy. 
When Elphis left Impact Management in 2016, Kawhi decided to stay with the company. His new agent would be a man named Mitch Frankel. Today, Frankel's only other NBA clients at Impact Sports is point guard Chris Dunn and former NBA point guard Glenn Rice Jr., who's been playing in Europe for about seven years. Essentially, this agency only exists because they have Kawhi Leonard. Understand that Kawhi's agency had a lot riding on this next contract Leonard is about to negotiate. At the same time, understand that the agency works for the player, not the other way around. Now let's return to New York. Most of the camp who hid Kawhi from the Spurs during rehab were people whose initial connections came through Uncle Dennis, and not necessarily Kawhi himself. The Spurs left New York without being able to speak to Kawhi, check in on Kawhi, or granted any level of access to Kawhi. After the All-Star break, all of the San Antonio Spurs returned home for the second half of the season. The first order of business, Spurs doctors gave the go-ahead to medically clear Kawhi Leonard to play. Even though the Spurs hadn't seen Kawhi in two weeks and got okie-doked when they tried visiting him in New York, they felt they had enough evidence to clear him. On February 21st, the Spurs made the announcement that Kawhi was cleared to play. Kawhi made it clear he felt otherwise. Thus, the Spurs cleared Leonard to play, and Leonard did not return from New York. When the announcement was made, Greg Popovich had this to say in comments. You know, uh, on Kawhi, I'll be surprised if he returns this season. Well, we, you know, we only have X number of games left in the season, and uh, he's still not ready to go. And, you know, if by some chance he is, it's going to be pretty late into the season, and it's going to be a tough decision, uh, you know, how late you bring somebody back. So I, I, that's why I'm just trying to be honest and logical. Uh, I'll be surprised if he gets back this year. This was the most declarative statement Pop had made thus far around the Kawhi Leonard situation. Even though, according to Michael C. Wright, Pop didn't really have access to a whole lot of information. The following day, Stephen A. Smith and Max Kellerman were having a discussion on their ESPN show, First Take, about Kawhi Leonard. When discussing the role of Uncle Dennis and the Spurs, Stephen A. had this to say about the relationship. Quote, I have been told directly that the uncle, Uncle Dennis, has been a problem. End quote. Smith would go on to mention that his sources were not directly within the Spurs organization, instead from people around the league who had relationships with Spurs people. Smith's comments were the first concrete reports about Uncle Dennis's involvement with the Spurs organization directly. Stephen A.'s reporting, combined with the story from Woj, Lowe, and Michael C. Wright, suggested for the first time that Uncle Dennis was some form of mediator between Kawhi and the Spurs organization. On February 26th, five days after Pop's comments, Kawhi Leonard returned from New York and began working out at the San Antonio Spurs facility. Michael C. Wright and Adrian Wojnarowski reported that Kawhi was targeting a late March return, 
and also added, quote, the injury, rehabilitation, and timeline for a return has played a part in complicating the Spurs and Leonard's relationship, causing a fraying in what has long seemed to be a model partnership. The uncertainty surrounding this season and Kawhi's future, which could include free agency in the summer of 2019, has created significant concern at the highest levels of the organization. End quote. On March 4th, a week after Kawhi returned to San Antonio, contract negotiations between Jordan Brand and Kawhi Leonard officially broke off. When Kawhi's deal with Jordan expired at the end of 2018 season, Kawhi would become an apparel free agent. One year later, after leaving the company, Kawhi Leonard would sue Jordan Brand for the trademarks to The Claw and to his logo. Why would Kawhi, Mitch Frankel, and Uncle Dennis break off contract talks with Jordan Brand? when they had nearly six months before Kawhi's deal ended? To understand this, I need to break out my college degree in economics and do some money math. First and foremost, I don't know Kawhi Leonard personally. I don't know how much money Kawhi was willing to sacrifice to leave San Antonio. The economic perspective is not the only perspective. It's just one that everyone considers when making a significant life decision. Nearly all of Kawhi Leonard's income comes from his basketball contract and his apparel contract. When he signed with the Spurs in 2014, Kawhi's contract was five years, $94 million. Details of his initial Jordan contract are unknown, although it's believed to be in the range of $3 million to $4 million per year, based on contracts for similar players. Entering 2018, Kawhi's Supermax contract with the Spurs would be worth five years, $209 million. If Kawhi waited until 2019, that contract with the Spurs would be worth somewhere between $210 and $220 million, based on whatever the NBA decided their salary cap would be. When Kawhi's team broke off negotiations with Jordan, the offer from them was four years, $20 million. This means if Kawhi signed with the Spurs and stayed with Jordan Brand, he'd make roughly $230 to $240 million over five years. We know the relationship between Kawhi and the Spurs is not in a great place. So Kawhi looks at what his best alternative options are. One, he signs a four-year contract worth a maximum of $139 million with another team in free agency in 2019. This is what Jimmy Butler did when he joined the Miami Heat and what Kyrie Irving did when he joined the Brooklyn Nets. Option two, sign a two-year contract with new team in 2019 and then sign a four-year maximum extension in 2021. Those two contracts combined would be worth six years, $240 million. Additionally, you're taking on a bigger risk because your contract is not guaranteed in 2021, and a team might not pay you the maximum salary. Just ask Boston Celtics 
Isaiah Thomas. Let's calculate how much each of these three different plans stay with the Spurs, leave with a four-year contract in 2019, or do the two-year contract then four-year contract would earn Kawhi over five years. In order to do this calculation, let's assume two things. One, Kawhi Leonard, if he chooses to sign with a new team, is going to sign a second contract with that same team. And in plan two, even if Kawhi Leonard suffers a major injury, he's still going to get a max contract extension. And this is a safe assumption to make considering Kawhi did tear his ACL in 2021 and got a four-year max extension. Now, with all of that money information, let's do some math and calculate how much Kawhi Leonard could make under each of these three plans over five years. Remember, the NBA's collective bargaining agreement is structured in a way that gives teams a better chance of retaining their own star players. The Spurs are going to have the best chance to re-sign Kawhi Leonard because Kawhi will have to leave money on the table in order to leave as a free agent. Option one is to sign the five-year Supermax extension with the Spurs in 2018. That would be worth $210 million. Option two is to leave the San Antonio Spurs and choose plan one, signing a four-year contract with a new team in free agency. Over five years, Kawhi Leonard would make $180 million. Option three, leave the San Antonio Spurs, sign a two-year extension with your new team, and then sign a four-year extension with that team that you signed with in 2019. Over five years, Kawhi Leonard would make $196 million, which means for Kawhi Leonard to leave the San Antonio Spurs, he would have to leave between $15 and $30 million on the table. According to Jeff McDonald of the San Antonio Express News, Kawhi's business team believed that there was a way Kawhi didn't have to lose that $15 to $30 million. Quote, Leonard's team of advisors, including his agent, Mitch Frankel, and his uncle and business manager, Dennis Robertson, reportedly believe the league's most low-key superstar can over time make up the financial difference in endorsement money and a new shoe deal if he moves to a higher profile market. End quote. The easiest place for Kawhi to make up this money would be from his secondary income source, his apparel and shoe deal. ESPN sneaker insider Nick DePaula, and yes, that is a real title, detailed how in 2018 the negotiations between Jordan Brand and Mitch Frankel went down. Quote, Kawhi's team were looking at something in the range of 10 plus million per year, which is what a lot of the top signature guys get like LeBron James, James Harden, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, and even Derrick Rose. Kawhi's camp was looking at that double-digit range, but Jordan Brand was pretty much standing firm at $5 million plus per year. End quote. The other way Frankel and Uncle Dennis calculated they could close the $15 to $30 million gap 
was through real estate, advertising, and marketing. Right around this time in 2018, Kawhi and Uncle Dennis began buying properties in the New York area, possibly as investments that they could later sell and make a profit. During the 2010s, one of the easiest ways to market shoes, clothes, and advertising partners is with your social media following. Kawhi Leonard had none of those social media followings. Here's how Nick DePaula again described Kawhi's marketability in 2018. Quote, Obviously Kawhi was a finals MVP, and he's a great two-way player. But there are realities in terms of the San Antonio market and his marketability. So his production may not translate in terms of sales. There's so much more that goes into selling shoes than just being a great player. End quote. Frankel and Uncle Dennis concluded the best way for Kawhi to make up the 15 to $30 million gap would be to move to a city with larger media availability and a larger population. The four largest metropolitan cities in the United States were Los Angeles, New York, Chicago, and Dallas. Those cities had six NBA teams, the Clippers, Lakers, Bulls, Mavericks, Nets, and Knicks. All six of these teams missed the playoffs in 2018, meaning that they all lacked a star player as good as Kawhi Leonard. If Kawhi was going to make up the extra 15 to $30 million by leaving San Antonio, a new shoe contract and a new larger city would be the best way to accomplish this. And this explains why when Kawhi's team went back to Jordan Brand with a $10 million plus per year offer, they broke off negotiations six months before Kawhi was scheduled to leave Jordan Brand. The wheels were in motion for plan B. How could Kawhi Leonard leave San Antonio? All right. I hope y'all are enjoying episode four of the fall of the Spurs dynasty. Before we go any further, because this is the second to last episode, and because this is by far the longest episode in this series, there's a couple of housekeeping points I would like to mention here. First of all, this podcast is available on two separate feeds. This show has its own personal podcast feed. It is the Fall of the Spurs Dynasty, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever it is that you get podcasts. This show is also available on the Take It Easy podcast feed. That's my personal show. We record episodes every single day with a whole host of friends. We've been doing it for about three years. So if you're listening to this show on the show's personal feed, Subscribe to the Take It Easy podcast and download the show there. If you're listening on Take It Easy, subscribe to the show's personal feed available wherever it is that you get podcasts. The links to all of that stuff is in the description to this episode. You might also see the byline for the podcast is CKSAML Productions. That is my media company that I made up and all of our work is under that umbrella. So, there is a link in the description to this episode, regardless of which feed you're listening on, for CKSAML Productions. 
all of the work that I'm doing, YouTube stuff, Arizona Cardinals podcasts, Instagram, Twitter, merch store even, all kinds of stuff are available on that feed. Uh, Supporting our dreams by checking out all of that stuff is the best way uh, to continue supporting this show. So just wanted to put all of that out there since we're coming to a close here on the show. With that being said, let us resume episode four of the fall of the Spurs dynasty. After Kawhi Leonard decided he was not well enough to play, and Greg Popovich said Kawhi wouldn't be back for the rest of the season, the San Antonio Spurs tried to shut down Kawhi Leonard for the season, as a way to save him from speculation. Kawhi would not allow the Spurs to do that. He wanted to keep all his options open, in case the relationship with the Spurs improved, and he felt well enough in his quad to continue playing. On February 28th, seven days after the Spurs cleared Kawhi, he returned to the team when they arrived in San Antonio, following their six-game road trip. Once again, he was sitting on the bench, second seat from the end, in his sport coat and t-shirt. That night, the Spurs played against the New Orleans Pelicans and lost by five. Three days later, San Antonio lost to the Lakers. They then beat Memphis by two points before returning to the road for a nine-day road trip. Kawhi remained in San Antonio. At this point in the season, the Spurs had a 37-27 record. They were tied for the third seed in the Western Conference behind the Houston Rockets of James Harden and the Warriors of Kevin Durant and Stephen Curry. It was very surprising that the Spurs were this good despite the fact Leonard had only played nine games all season. The Spurs were led by LaMarcus Aldridge and Danny Green, along with 35-year-old Tony Parker and 40-year-old Manu Ginobili. Starting in place of Kawhi was their 2014 first-round pick, Kyle Anderson, averaging 7 points per game and 26 minutes. The Spurs were back to their old ways, getting great play from second-round picks like Davis Bertans, Patty Mills, and Bryn Forbes. When Tony Parker was recovering from his torn quad, 2016 first-round pick DeJounte Murray filled in as starting point guard. At 21 years old, Murray made the NBA all-defensive team and added 11 points per game and three assists during his time. When Parker returned to the lineup, Murray moved to the bench. DeJounte played in all but one game during the 2018 season. Kawhi Leonard had a team worth coming back to. He wasn't going to rule himself out just yet. On March 7th, after the Spurs' last training session before the six-day road trip, Kawhi held a press conference for the first time since his last game on January 13th. During the press conference, Kawhi said he would be, quote, returning soon, and denied any animosity between himself and the San Antonio Spurs. The whole press conference lasted four minutes. We're taking the right steps. Uh, don't want to take no uh, steps back and, uh, you know, just uh, aggravate things. Are you planning to go on this road trip? No. Why, how, uh, what is, as far as, uh, 
How tough has it been for you to, to, to be on the bench on both? Uh, it's, it's been tough, but, uh, you know, these guys have uh, been doing it all season. They've been playing great. Um, I'm thankful for them, for the teammates that I do have. They understand the situation that I'm in. And, uh, I mean, they're, they're playing well. After that, the Spurs flew to Oakland, and Kawhi stayed in San Antonio. Three days later, on March 10th, Adrian Wojnarowski reported that Kawhi Leonard would return to playing for the Spurs when they returned home to San Antonio on March 13th. This was news to the Spurs because they had not heard from Kawhi's camp that he felt ready to return. When the Spurs tried to contact Kawhi, they did not get a response. The next day, on March 11th, it was announced that Kawhi was actually going to play on Saturday the 15th. The sporadic nature of the reports suggested that Woj was getting his sources from within the Leonard camp and not from the Spurs. If this had been up to San Antonio, they would have set a concrete date for the first game after the All-Star break. This was Kawhi's call, and the call was possibly changing day to day. Two days later, on Tuesday, March 13th, the Spurs returned from Houston. They would play the Orlando Magic that night then play the Pelicans on Thursday, Kawhi's first game back. At 2.28 p.m., just before the Spurs shoot-around, Sham Sharania of Yahoo Sports reported that Kawhi Leonard would not be playing on March 15th. Kawhi would continue to be out indefinitely with a, quote, potential return before the end of the season. Whatever happened within those three days, injury-related or Spurs-related, we may never know. All we knew now is that Kawhi was back to square one, out until Kawhi felt he was okay to play. This time, the Spurs had had enough. For the old Spurs brass, it was one thing for Kawhi to be out when the Spurs doctors had cleared him. When media reports of Kawhi playing tricked them into thinking he was coming back, that one was seen as unprofessional. The Spurs had bit their lip and towed the company line for months. After Kawhi's almost-gonna-play moment, they weren't gonna put up with uncertainty any longer, with a playoff run on the horizon. On Thursday, March 15th, the Spurs defeated the Pelicans. Two nights later, with Kawhi in his same sport coat shirt combo, sitting second seat from the end of the bench, the Spurs beat the Minnesota Timberwolves by 16 points. They had won three games in a row following a 2-9 and nine stretch. After the game, Tony Parker and Manu Ginobili told all the coaches, including Pop, to wait in the tunnel after the game. All of the players gathered together in the locker room, including Kawhi. Parker led the players-only meeting by asking Kawhi, first and foremost, whether he planned to return to play for the Spurs. Parker and other key veterans reminded Kawhi they had 10 games left in the regular season, and that the team was trying to hang on to playoff positioning. Kawhi told his teammates the same thing as before, he planned to return once he felt able to do so. Kawhi offered them no concrete plan for return. After Kawhi spoke, 
Parker offered other players an opportunity to voice their feelings. A couple veteran players, including Ginobili, spoke their piece to Kawhi. After that, the team meeting was over. The whole event lasted about five to ten minutes. After the players-only meeting became public, both the Spurs and Spurs players rushed to control the media narrative. According to Adrian Wojnarowski, whose sources came from the Spurs front office, quote, the conversation was described as tense and emotional at times. Several teammates spoke up, expressing frustration and confusion over a growing divide that has created significant tension between Leonard and the Spurs. Outside the Spurs locker room, players' voices could be heard through the door, sources said, end quote. According to Spurs players, quote, Leonard did receive support from some teammates, urging him not to return until he feels healthy enough. The team just wanted to hear Kawhi's status from him, and not from the media, end quote. Five days later, on March 21st, Ginobili was asked about the players-only meeting and Kawhi's status. His comments didn't exactly put people at ease. He's not coming back. For me, he's not coming back because he's, he's not helping. Um, we fell for it a week ago again. I guess you guys made us fall for it. But uh, as I said, maybe a month ago, I don't know when it was, we, we got to think that he's not coming back, that we are who we are, and that we got to fight uh, without him. Two days later, Tony Parker was asked after Spurs practice about Kawhi's availability. His comments sounded off even more alarms. It was a rehab for me too for eight months, you know, so uh, same kind of injury. Uh, my mind was a hundred times worse, but the same kind of injury and uh, just try to stay positive. I had options too, obviously, you know, when you have a big injury like that, you can go to LA, go to Europe, you know, France. I could have gone anywhere, but uh, I trust my Spurs doctors. They've been with me, you know, my whole career. They know my body better than anybody. And so for me, it was a no-brainer to do the surgery with them. So when I did my injury, 48 hours, I was in surgery. I didn't take like two weeks and go uh, through options and stuff like that. For me, it was a no-brainer because I feel like we have the best uh, medical team uh, in the world. Except mine was 100 times worse. And I had options to go to L.A. or Europe, but I trust my Spurs doctors would be the quotes that were passed around NBA media circles for the next week. If the comments from Tony Parker and Manu Ginobili could be up for interpretation, the comments of Bruce Bowen were crystal clear. Bowen, who at the time was working as a commentator for the Los Angeles Clippers, had this to say about Kawhi to Sirius XM Radio in June of 2018. Quote, First, it was, well, I was misdiagnosed. Look here, you got $18 million this year, and you think that they're trying to rush you? You didn't play for most part of a full season this year, and you're the go-to guy. You're the franchise, and you want to say that they didn't have your best interest at heart? Are you kidding me? I think he's getting bad advice, Bowen said later. Quote, I think what you're starting to see now is an individual given a certain amount of advice, and it's not the right advice. Here it is. You were protected in San Antonio. You were able to come up during a time where you could still lean on Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, and Manu Ginobili. 
Not one time has Kawhi come out and said anything to the effect of, you know what, hey, I really enjoy being in San Antonio, or I can't stand what's going on here in San Antonio. Not one time has he said anything. As a player, if I'm a leader of a team, my team goes on the road in the playoffs, I'm with my guys, because that's what it's all about. It's about camaraderie, it's about fellowship, it's a brotherhood. I'm not willing to take on a player who's not willing to support his guys during the course of their time needing him." End quote. Parker, Ginobili, and Bowen were out there defending the Spurs organization and what they had built over the last 20 years in San Antonio. In episode one, we talked about Spurs culture and how it was built upon the Spurs' ability to build around Tim Duncan. Parker, Ginobili, and Bowen were the centerpieces of the Spurs during their winningest years, and they were defending what the Spurs had built. Tim Duncan was gone, and Popovich was never going to bash a player. After Kawhi had okey-doked them, they felt like he wasn't part of the group. Parker, Ginobili, and Bowen were defending an ideal, and a culture they'd known their entire careers. The Spurs were proud of what they had built. And as the old saying goes, pride comes before the fall. Following the players-only meeting, and for the rest of the 2018 regular season, a lot was made about how the Spurs felt about Kawhi and about the players-only meeting. Very little was reported on how the meeting made Kawhi Leonard feel. On May 1st, 2018, Kawhi Leonard and his camp got to speak their piece, in reporting done by ESPN's Ramona Shelburne. If you remember back to episode 3, Ramona Shelburne was the reporter who did the profile on Kawhi after the NBA Finals, and talked to his mother about, about Kawhi's childhood and his father's death. Shelburne had a lot of contacts within the Leonard camp. After the season ended, many of those people were ready to use their voice in a way that Kawhi Leonard would not. First, there were details about Kawhi Leonard's injury. Quote, According to multiple sources, Leonard's camp had come to believe the issue has more to do with an ossification or hardening in the area where the muscle has been repeatedly bruised and then an atrophy, which in turn affected the tendons connecting the muscle to the knee. The Spurs have always called the injury quadricep tendinopathy, which is a disease of the tendon that has a degenerative effect on the muscle by keeping it in a constant state of exhaustion. The treatment course for each diagnosis, a muscle issue versus a tendon issue, is different, which has become another source of tension in the relationship. Initially, the Spurs doctors were calling the shots, with Leonard following their protocols for most of last summer in his workouts in San Antonio with team staffers and in San Diego with his longtime personal trainer. Things began to change in August as Leonard continued to experience discomfort. His agent, Mitch Frankel, and uncle, Dennis Robertson, began pressing the Spurs to consult outside opinions. Last fall, Dr. Keith Pine, the managing partner of Sports Lab New York City, which is affiliated with the Washington Nationals and New York Islanders, began consulting on the case. End quote. Said one source close to Kawhi, quote, 
The Spurs feel that they hire the best, and they do it better than anyone else. They deserve to have that reputation, and that kind of ego. But they're just not very open-minded. They don't like others messing with their players. Said another Leonard confidant, quote, They're alienating him. They're making him look bad. You have this seamless transition from the Duncan era to the new era, this homegrown superstar. Like, why would you alienate him? End quote. In regards to Tony Parker's comments about them having the same injury and his being a hundred times worse, Mitch Frankel said to Ramona Shelburne, quote, I don't think Kawhi and Tony Parker have the same injury. That's clear, number one. I mean, that's crystal clear. Number two, I think the Spurs and Kawhi and Kawhi's doctors and everyone around Kawhi is just trying to get him healthy, jointly. It's not as simple as what's being written, so it's really just that he's got to get his quad healthy. He's got to get his tendon healthy, and that's the focus. In regards to Kawhi's camp and their relationship with the Spurs, Ramona Shelburne detailed how, after Leonard and Elphus parted ways, Dennis Robertson and Mitch Frankel took over day-to-day communication with the Spurs, and the relationship hasn't been nearly as healthy. Shelburne also confirmed suspicions that the San Antonio Spurs were afraid that Kawhi's partners, specifically Frankel and Uncle Dennis, had ulterior motives to fray the relationship and get Kawhi Leonard traded to a larger market such as Los Angeles, or New York, or Philadelphia. While there is no evidence that suggests that Mitch Frankel and Uncle Dennis had ulterior motives, one source close to R.C. Buford said the longtime executive admitted to him that he's constantly losing sleep over how and why the relationship with Leonard has disintegrated. While there is no direct evidence that points to Mitch Frankel or Uncle Dennis having ulterior motives, it is important to note what was happening to Impact Sports Management during the time they were representing Kawhi Leonard. Mitch Frankel founded Impact Sports as an agency representing football players. When they expanded into basketball in 2008, they took on significant financial debt that the company hasn't really been able to pay back. In 2016, when Brian Elphis ended up leaving Impact Sports Management, so did Will Barton and their former client, Torian Prince. Around the same time in 2016, a whole bunch of football players also left Impact Sports Management as a result of the debt they had taken on trying to expand into basketball. As we mentioned earlier, Kawhi Leonard and NBA journeyman Chris Dunn are the only NBA clients currently represented by Mitch Frankel and his agency. It doesn't take much to put two and two together and suggest the possibility Frankel may have been steering Kawhi Leonard in an alternative direction. This is what the Spurs began to use as an explanation as the relationship began to fall apart with Kawhi Leonard. In regards to the players-only meeting, Kawhi Leonard felt blindsided. He felt like the Spurs were ganging up on him, and that nobody was there left to support him within the organization. Prior to the players-only meeting, Kawhi's only argument had been with Spurs staffers and Spurs doctors. After the players-only meeting, Kawhi felt like his teammates didn't really have his back. It felt like Tony Parker and Manu Ginobili 
were by and large extensions of management. And in turn, Kawhi became distrustful of them too, after the players only meeting. There wasn't really much left for Kawhi to return back to. Manu Ginobili was going to retire after the season, and Tony Parker's contract expired after 2018. If Kawhi Leonard said that a stipulation of him returning would be Tony Parker being off the team, the Spurs would have easily obliged. If Kawhi had made the ultimatum, he could have gotten Parker and Ginobili out of San Antonio. The Spurs could have been built around him, in his image, with him and Popovich working together for the next five years. Ultimately, that wasn't what Kawhi Leonard wanted. After the players-only meeting, Kawhi Leonard was convinced that he didn't want to play with the Spurs anymore. On March 21st, Kawhi Leonard had an impromptu meeting with reporters. As Kawhi was talking, a Spurs reporter came over and broke up the press availability, and then sheltered Kawhi back into the team locker room. Kawhi Leonard was still ruled out indefinitely. One week later, on March 28th, Kawhi Leonard left San Antonio and traveled back to New York to continue rehabilitating his injury. Kawhi wouldn't return for the Spurs' next two home games, or their two road games in Los Angeles, or their regular season finale against the Sacramento Kings. For all intents and purposes, Kawhi Leonard's 2018 season was over. Two months later, on June 15th, 2018, Adrian Wojnarowski reported that Kawhi Leonard had told the Spurs he would not be signing his Supermax extension and requested that the San Antonio Spurs trade him to either New York or his hometown of Los Angeles. The San Antonio Spurs would have to trade Kawhi Leonard that offseason, or else he would go into free agency in 2019, and the Spurs would get nothing in return for him. After eight seasons in San Antonio, Kawhi Leonard's Spurs career was officially over. The San Antonio Spurs finished the 2018 regular season with a 47-win, 35-loss record. It was the first time since 1997 that the Spurs failed to register 50 wins in a full NBA season. Still, given the fallout between Kawhi Leonard, Manu Ginobili, Tony Parker, and the Spurs organization, 47 wins was an accomplishment the Spurs had every reason to be proud of. The Spurs claimed the seventh seed in the Western Conference playoffs. Their first-round matchup was, once again, Kevin Durant and the Golden State Warriors. Because, of course, it was them. Kawhi Leonard had been in New York since the end of March, and he stayed there for the Spurs playoff series. Kawhi had never officially been ruled out for the year at any point during the season, although it had been a given he wouldn't be back, ever since the players-only meeting and the comments by Tony Parker and Manu Ginobili. On April 14th, the Spurs and Warriors played Game 1 in Oakland. 
The Warriors destroyed San Antonio, winning by 21 points and resting starters for the fourth quarter. In Game 2, on April 16th, the Warriors won by 15 points, although San Antonio did have the lead late in the third quarter. The Spurs returned to San Antonio for what would have been Game 3 on April 19th. Instead, the focus of the Spurs shifted away from basketball. The Turner Sports family joins with the NBA family tonight in mourning the death of Aaron Popovich, the wife of San Antonio Spurs head coach Greg Popovich. The two were married for four decades, had two children and two grandchildren. Among those reacting to the news... Aaron Popovich died on April 18th, 2018. Aaron had been battling a chronic respiratory illness since the 1990s, a battle which she and Greg kept private, except to those closest to them. She was 67 years old. Greg and Aaron Popovich were married for 42 years until Aaron's passing. Coach Pop stepped away from the team for the remainder of the playoffs. He specifically requested the Spurs not acknowledge his situation prior to Game 3 in San Antonio. He wanted no moment of silence, pregame video tribute, or announcement that he would not be attending the game. The San Antonio Spurs lost Game 3 110-97. to Without Coach Pop, the Spurs won Game 4, then traveled to Oakland, and were eliminated by the Warriors in Game 5. And that was it. The end of the Spurs dynasty. 30 years of success, all coming to a close with a forgettable first-round playoff exit with no Greg Popovich on a cold night in Oakland, California. Thank you for stopping in to episode 4 of The Fall of the Spurs Dynasty. On episode 5, we will discuss the Kawhi Leonard trade, his new apparel deal, the DeMar DeRozan era, the four-year fallout of the San Antonio Spurs, and give our final closing remarks for the podcast series. Until next time, my name is Kyle Ledbetter. Take it easy. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.